0: Welcome to Amadon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 82 of the podcast, we have a return visitor to the planet. That is Dr. Christy Livingston, she is an outstanding advocate for this podcast. I'm I'm always excited when I get an email from her. She's got an idea. She's got uh, some thoughts uh, based off of an episode. It's, it's, I love interacting with her, but also love having her on as a guest. And you're gonna love it too. And <laughs> and you're gonna love it because we're gonna talk about high quality instructional materials or HQIMs, um, which. We're going to admit might be one of the nerdier uh, topics you're going to hear on uh, Amazon Planet. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not quite the same thing as looking at the Broken Record podcast with uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin. That might be a little bit cooler than this one, but I don't think there, you know, I don't think that there's a greater conversation about high quality instructional materials that you can find on the internet than the one that we're about to have. And And just... Christy is very passionate about this topic. And that's what actually what led to this episode. We've been wanting to have this episode for a while. We were at the beginning of the semester, you know, talking about some things. And she's like, I'd really, you know, kind of have a passion for this thing here, this high quality instructional materials. I've been kind of thinking about it, been advocating for it. I've been doing some professional development around it. And I'm like, hey, I was a field test teacher for some curriculum. I'm excited about it as well. Let's come together and talk about it. And just, and I hope that you can s- see like what the, what the benefit of it, but not only for students, but for teachers and also just for, just for general learning. And I think also too, if ever I've had a chance to expose people to a curriculum, for example, I I used this high school curriculum called core plus where there was a problem in core plus that if you just walk through it, logically taught you how to do matrix multiplication. Now some of you are like, well, what is matrix multiplication? If for any of you that remember it, it's where you take the row of a matrix, a row of a matrix, and you're going to multiply it by a column of the next matrix. Each of those individual then products uh, of that row multiplied by the column get then added up. It doesn't make sense why you do it. It really doesn't. Like, it, like it's, it's an algorithm. that's like memorized. Remember, you got to multiply the row by the column, come up with the products, and then add them up to create a sum, and then that will be that one entry in the resulting matrix and people are like well that just doesn't make sense but then in this these high quality instructional materials in core plus they have a problem where there is here are the prices of you know like t-shirts from three companies for small medium and large here are their prices and then so three companies they put it in a table which looks like a matrix and then they have, here's what each of these sports teams needs for small, medium, and large, right? And so then you want to know, okay, well, how much will each of these sports teams, their T-shirt order cost for each of these, um, for each of these uh, companies? And you think, oh, well, I've got to multiply the smalls by the price for the smalls for that company, the mediums by the, the medium for that company, and then add them up, come up with a, oh, I just did matrix multiplication in context and made sense. And that's what a high quality instructional material can do is open up space for kids to explore and come up with these things that were just given to us. Like I was just told like, hey, here's how matrix multiplication works and do it, regurgitate it versus explore and find out. And then, hey, now I know why. The algorithm is what it is. I know why it is. I can explain it to that person that's just being told what to do. I can tell them why it is what it is because I had to logically go through it for this context in this context problem. That's what high-quality instructional materials can do. So anyway, I'm, I'm I'm just blathering on. We should go in and just dive into this conversation with Christy because she's excited about it. She knows so much about it. She's been doing a lot of professional development on it. And she's got a lot of resources. There's going to be a lot of links in the show notes if you're interested in this. Um, so this could also be a good conversation for those that are you know unaware of these topics, possibly a parent or something like, hey, what's, what's the importance of curriculum? Should we just buy the cheapest books? No, you're probably not saying that. But What's the importance of curriculum for my teachers, right? Versus a a teacher, maybe uh, I haven't ever had exposure to a high quality instructional material. And so getting, uh, trying to speak to a number of different things. But anyway, here's a great conversation on high quality instructional materials with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Christy Livingston. All right, let's just just do this. Welcome back to Amazon Planet, Dr. Christy Livingston. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Dr. Amadon?
0: Hey, all, all your different roles and responsibilities, can you just give a rundown, just a, a quick reminder to the audience about who Dr. Christy Livingston is? What do you do?
1: Absolutely. Currently, I work for the North Mississippi Education Consortium. That's a consulting group here in Mississippi. Also do some work with the Consortium on Reaching Excellence in Education, uh, core out of California, do some literacy training for them. And I'm an adjunct instructor at the University of Mississippi and mom of three really cool kids.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: My most important role there.
0: That's right. Well, and I, you know, you're the one guest that, you know, I want to, want to talk to on some things and, you know, and also you're, I think you're a consultant in, to Amazon planet. Like you provide uh, advice and, and and suggestions that uh, we're running with and we're trying to improve upon and everything. But, uh, but also I think when I think about someone who, who needs to schedule out. It's like, hey, when can you talk, Chris? And she's like, how about December? And this is like September, (laughs) but that's good. I mean, you're, and I know you're organized. You're a very organized person. So, like, (laughs) I I try. I'm like, hey, I'll take when I can get her. I remember, I think last year I had you on for what I like to call the month of Joel. Um, And I think we we did something on my birthday, and now we're doing something. We're recording this. Yeah, you were. you were. I don't
1: think birthday. I even knew it was your birthday. So yeah. happy, very belated. <laughs> yeah, very <birthday>. belated.
0: <laughs> and then this time, what we're recording, uh, because of the you know miracle of podcasting, we're recording right before uh, winter break when no one is in at in the uh, Guyton Hall at the University of Mississippi. But that's okay. Hey, we're here. We're here to talk.
1: Right. We're ready. Let's go.
0: And we're going to talk about high quality instructional materials or HQIMs. I don't know, does anybody refer to it as HQIM? I mean, I know yes. they're doing text, but like when they talk, yes. do they say HQIM? Yes.
1: So I do lots of training about high quality instructional materials. And I feel like once you've said it like twice, you just want to say HQIMs, HQIMs and just okay. make sure that everybody's along for the ride there.
0: No, like HECWIMs or nothing like, no. No, Probably. no, we're just going to yeah. call it HQIMs. All right. Okay. Well. Stick
1: with math, Dr. <laughs> yeah, Stick with math. Thank you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Not going to be in branding of high quality instruction materials anytime <laughs> soon. My marketing role is is not there. Um, but so you're, I, and, and I was talking to uh, a colleague on the way uh, back from Linda. I was like, I'm going to talk to Dr. Livingston about high quality instruction materials. And they're like, she's very passionate about that. So <laughs> it, was just I, um, it was
1: great. I am. great. got um, a
0: reputation. I can
1: already guess who you were having lunch with That's based right. yeah. on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, and the thing is what, you know, I'm planning all about learning how to teach better. And so, you know, obviously there's some people are like, well, I don't even know what high quality instructional materials. Are. So let's start there. What are high quality instructional materials?
1: So when you hear that term, it's, it's literally what it sounds like, but I feel like in education, we use so much jargon that words start to lose their meaning really mm-hmm. easily because we yep. just throw it out there. But I call this like the good stuff when we're talking about I high quality. And sh-
0: That's great. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why Go. we're friends, Doctor right. Ramadan. Yes, I I feel like when we're when you're trying to explain and understand this, it's really like when you think about actual curriculum. So I have a teacher's guide. I have student workbooks or student books that they read or work in. Maybe an online piece. This is something that like a publisher has created. Yep. But it has also been vetted by someone. That's not that publisher because, yes. right, every publisher is saying, I have the best materials it's so good. ever. Every kid can do math and every kid can learn to read and they're going to understand scientific inquiry and all the things. Well, of course, they're going to say they're trying to sell you a product. It's 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 all about the money in that right. case. Yep. I think about high quality instructional materials that also have been vetted by like reputable organizations like Ed Reports, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we're going to talk about in this episode, Where they have said, okay, let's look at all of these materials, the usability, that diversity that's being used. Does it really help teachers better understand this content by using it? I look at those type of materials and say, hey, those are high quality. So for ELA, they're not just standards aligned. English language
0: arts, just for those. English language arts. Yeah. 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 And that's
1: what that's going to be my point of reference for most of this. But we say it's not just standards aligned, the common core standards or college and career readiness standards, what we use in Mississippi, but it's also under this umbrella of the three key shifts. So if you're not familiar with the shifts, this is whenever the standards were actually created. They were created under the umbrella of these big ideas. So in ELA, that is text complexity. So it means that in a fifth grade classroom, even if I have students who read, quote unquote, on a second grade level, I'm exposing them consistently to fifth grade passages that I am making sure that when I ask them questions, they always have to go back to the text to find evidence to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking them to write about a, a wonderful vacation they went on one time. I'm going to always go back to the text. Yeah. And this big one that's really important to me with ELA is background knowledge. And it's something we're kind of falling away from, unfortunately, in education, where in my materials, I am deeply teaching kids and students about stuff, mm-hmm. science, social studies, the arts. And then in math, that's connecting to y'all's three key shifts, which are, I think, rigor, coherence, and focus. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, About the standards, but it's also understanding that there's there's got to be some connectedness in all the materials that kind of help kids see the smaller details in the standards, but the big picture of what they need to learn.
0: So the three shifts in ELA are text complexity, text
1: complexity, finding evidence and background knowledge or building knowledge.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, And so then when you're when you're going and looking at curricula and you're saying like, does do we see these three shifts and then how well do they do at it? And then obviously other things that you're looking at. Right. Um, right. And so saying like that, um, and and so, okay, right. It's a, it does those things. Well, why does that, why does it matter? Why, why? So
1: I think it matters for a lot of reasons, but one of the like very like pressing issues we have right now in education is we're like an in information overload. Mm -hmm. And so I can go on Google and I can type in any random standard that I want to. And like, literally, I've done this. And within two seconds, get hundreds of thousands of results to that one standard. And so if I'm thinking, oh, I just need to plan a daily lesson, that may feel really easy to just pick something random. But then if I do it the next day, how do I know that those two aspects, those two materials, those two resources connect in any way to actually teach what I needed to teach. And so there's there's a lot of um, actual research that's been coming out about what's happening to not only like our students' performance, but also what's happening with our teachers. And so there's this really amazing, it's like a slide deck that Ed Reports has created that's got lots of um, research. A lot of it's from the research and development group, RAND, that talks about like how much time teachers actually spend mm. looking for resources, and one of the, um, their reports said the average teacher spends seven to twelve hours a week looking and trying to find materials for the classroom.
0: And that's on top of teaching. I mean, you think about that—that that, they yep. don't have that time, and yet that's they they're don't using that time.
1: So either they're having to take away from instructional time to do this. Or they're staying late, which I know a lot of my teacher friends are doing, or they're trying to get their kids in bed. And then they're staying up till 12 o'clock at night trying to find something to meet this standard or pacing guide or whatever they've been given. And then further research kind of talked about like, okay, so 96 percent of teachers use Google, which we're all I mean, we're all we all all use Google at Subway. And then 75 percent use Pinterest. But I think we're at the point now that teachers will Google it. Google a standard, Google an activity. It'll send them to Pinterest, which then sends them to this other website called Teacher Pay Teachers, which I'm not here to blast, but there's some quality there, but there's a whole lot that's not because the research went on to find that only 20% of the materials that teachers find online are actually on grade level. Yeah.
0: So let's just back up back for once because some people might not realize like, wow, this is. So like when the Common Core comes out, in which there's a lot of states out there, they still have the Common Core. They just took the cover off of it and put their own cover on, Mississippi right. being one of them. Yeah. And so, which is, which, you know, actually because of um, because of that, I mean, because everyone had all these different, before Common Core, people had all these different standards. Wisconsin, which was known as like a great school for education, they had standards that were really low comparatively to other states like Massachusetts, which had really high standards. So like, it was a way to kind of, I think, even out the, country yeah. around like, hey, what are expectations? And so that also made it so that there's more people had like uh, uh, basically incentive to create resources across all those things, which is great. So there's lots of good stuff out there, like illustrative mathematics, which is a free resource where you can go get some good uh, good tasks to do some math. And then now they have a curriculum that's out there and we'll t- probably talk about that in a sec. But, but also too, it makes it so a lot of other people can make stuff And, and and like you said, you can paste in a standard and find a bunch of stuff. That's not good. So it's, it's almost, and I don't want to see, there's probably gonna be lots of metaphors here. It's almost like randomly going into a restaurant that has food and just being like, I hope this is good food, you know? And that's kind of like the Googling of something like, Hey, well, it it says it's the standard. It says it's food. <laughs> like we'll see. Yeah. We hope it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, but yeah. I sorry. And just just to set the stage, because it used to be like you know, like there's all these different, like uh, you know, a lot of the some of the bigger states were were real big, heavy to on what's was available out there for curricula. And now we we kind of have there's a there's a little bit better with regards to universality with, with regards to curriculum. But I'll, I'll turn it yeah. back over to you.
1: No, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like even in education, one of the first things I ask my students when I talk about the standards is we do this like little pretest about what they know about Common Core. Mm -hmm. And I would say almost nine out of 10 of my students think that Common Core is a curriculum Mm -hmm. because it kind of rolls off the tongue, Common Core curriculum. But I always try to, and I hope we don't have a lot of like, I don't know if you have a lot of Alabama fans who listen to this. If you do, (laughs) I apologize. I'm in my feelings because we just lost to Alabama last week here at the university. Um, But I always try to use the analogy that, okay, A curriculum and standards are not the same. So, if we think about standards, we are thinking about this is the end goal. So, like an analogy is, we're playing a football game, and the standards are the rules, right? Both Mm -hmm. teams, if they kick a field goal, it's worth the same amount of points. If they score a touchdown, this is how far they have. All you know to get a first down. All of those things I say are the rules, unless you play for Alabama. In a case, apparently they have their own rules. Anyway, (laughs) but I always say. That the curriculum, the standards are the rules, right? That by which we play. That's our end goal to how we win the game. Mm-hmm. But the curriculum is like your playbook. Lane Kiffin here at the University of Mississippi has a different playbook than Nick Saban. They has a different, yep. they have a different method for playing this game. So a curriculum gives you lots of different ways to teach the standards, but not all playbooks are created equal. Not all curriculum is created equal.
0: Right. Absolutely. So that's a, a great way, because yeah, I mean, you know, getting into, you know, it's, we, are, we both are on social media. So, you know, you see some comment on social media, and you just be like that is like, you know, the common core curriculum and like that here's common some, you
1: know, core math. I'm like yeah. the one that says kids need to count to 120 in kindergarten. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's the worst. Why do <laughs> we ever want them to do that?
0: And so like the, yeah. And like the, The thing like, well, you can't even like dive into it because it's like you're talking about two different things. You're not, it's, you know, the standard, like if you actually know what this, it's in the standards, there's probably not a lot you disagree with. Like, you know, the standard for mathematical practice, number one, make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. What parent doesn't want that for their kid to make sense of problems and persevere in solving them? So how are you going to do that? You have to expose them to problems, which causes uh, which means they might have to struggle a little bit. And, yeah, there's a way to do that, you know, productively within classrooms. But yeah. um, but that doesn't mean, like, just sheltering them from everything. So, yeah. Anyway, so you're talking about high-quality instructional materials are playbooks? Teacher
1: basically? playbooks.
0: Teacher playbooks. All right. Uh, that so,
1: script it and tell you this is what you do. This is the materials the students use. This is how you're going to differentiate. Like, it really gives you the play-by-play for What classroom instruction should look like with that those materials?
0: All right, so I'm going to be the uh, the because you said a word that maybe some people get scared of. Said the word script. Mm. Okay,
1: that's a good point. Yep.
0: Right, some teachers get scared. Oh my gosh! Like, welcome class today. We are going. You know, and that's but that's not what you're talking about. So like, what? So you know, people get scared. Like, oh, you're you're oh, you're gonna. Dr. Lewis, you're taking away my autonomy as a teacher. No, no, no. That's not what you, it's almost like there's a focus, right?
1: Right. So here's, here's what I have always told my pre-service teachers. Once you have really mastered and you understand both this content and how to teach it at this grade level, I might be a genius mathematician. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I know how to break down subtraction with regrouping to second grade students, right? Mm -hmm. So What a high quality instructional material does is first, it's going to break that down in a way that's going to make more sense for me. And it's going to give me guidelines for how to break it down for students in ways that I can prepare and and do this for them. What I normally tell my pre-service teachers is, I'm not trying to take away anybody's autonomy. But especially when you're in your first three years and you're worried about classroom management and how do you talk to parents and how do you do these assessments. And the cognitive load is so heavy if you can have a really great curriculum to help guide you, it just takes away this like extra load that you feel like you have to carry. Because I feel like I've been in education for 15 years. My background is very heavy in reading foundational skills. I know how to teach young children how to sound out words and read words. I feel like you could walk into a third grade class and you could probably teach math. You could look at the script and then you could just do what you know works best. And so I'm not trying to say like, Oh no! If you've been teaching for a while and you own that content, that you should only do it the way the material say do it. But it for those who are not hundred percent confident in that material and who are not uh, who've not been teaching for several years, it's just extra like life jacket that keeps them afloat that helps them connect to their students and the materials should be coherent and connecting. So the students aren't confused about, well, why did this worksheet have us do it this yesterday? And then today you're teaching us a completely different way with a different type of material.
0: You're right. Yeah. And I, and I think, and, you know, I said that, um, you know, jokingly, like the script, you know, don't script the curriculum, but I mean, all of my great experiences in a math classroom teaching high school mathematics. I mean, I had one of the, uh, one of the, um, NSF fund when the original 1989 standards came out and people were like, well, how do you do this? Cause the the math curriculum that we have does not, it does not match what these new standards say. And so NSF funded a bunch of math curricula and, and I got a chance to then actually interact with two of them. Um, one of them was a middle school curriculum called math, mathematics and context. And one of them was a high school curriculum called, uh, contemporary math and context or also called core plus, but it was like, working in groups and everything in context. And then the, the like symbol manipulation algebra. And it was actually like, what would be the in the last math class that, that you'd take? So rather than giving you a bunch of algebra or a bunch of geometry, it was like a little bit of algebra, a little bit of geometry, a little bit of stats and probability, and even a little bit of discrete. So it's like route planning and stuff like that. And it was like the last, it was kind of like a, like spreading peanut butter on bread. It was like, let's have an even spread of math across all these subjects. And then the next class built on that. And so you saw the connections between algebra and geometry, but then and it was different than anything I'd ever had before. And having the script or the curriculum in order to see like, how do they lay it out? How these investigations happen? How do I, you know, work with groups and it laid it all out and got lots of training on that. And it was like, I knew what I was going to be doing. Cause I had a great curriculum, but then to figure out how do I do that well with my students? That is where my, my teaching like got in hand, And, and like, and so you're saying going to a third grade class. And the first thing, if someone said, Hey, I'm teaching third grade next year, like you'd be like, okay, well, what's the curriculum, right? Was it because I'm not going to reinvent the wheel because lots of smart people right. got together and created some stuff.
1: I always try to say, I'm, I'm just full of analogies today, apparently, but we always talk about, we give strategies to students or we teach them strategies and we say, oh, we're just adding tools to your tool belt. I feel like the curriculum is like the tool belt, or maybe your like toolbox. Mm-hmm. It's, you can I can teach you 87 strategies, but unless it's grounded in like one coherent, great curriculum that's going to help you connect, you're not going to know when to pull out a hammer or when to pull out a screwdriver. Like you're not going to know when to use each tool strategically and each strategy strategically until as a whole, you understand what's happening in that classroom with that content area.
0: Well, let's go back to the football metaphor like on the opposite side would be gra- you know, just grabbing random pages of playbooks. Right. From you know, oh and twelve teams to undefeated teams, putting together and trying to slap it together and say, hey, that, here's something.
1: That was a better analogy. I'm so you mad like I didn't come up yeah. with it. That was well, good. Well, I can you see started the wheels it. turning.
0: Well, well, that's actually what it is. I mean, right? It's like starting with a good base. You gave the first metaphor, and then i I added to it. So there we go. Yeah. But it's like tw- um, you know, just knowing that there's when I had an experience and I don't know if you knew this, I was a field test teacher for that core plus material. So I actually got to get in on conversations where they're talking about all the thought that went into this one algebra, you know, unit and the different investigations that were inside of the, you know, that investigations lessons. And then altogether it was a unit. And like, and the, the thought even to a single problem. And it's like, Versus, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the 12 hours that teachers are doing trying to find something where someone might have you know, just randomly put something together. And it's like, it's like that, that is that one problem is gold. And and like, if, how do we give access to that stuff? You
1: know? And I, I will say, like, I, I say it a lot of times, uh, more specifically to administrators that, and I know we're going to get in talking about lesson planning, but curriculum writing and lesson planning are two different things. Different and job. teachers yep. are not paid to be curriculum writers. So I always tell my pre-service teachers, especially those that I work with that are student teachers, when they start interviewing, I always give them a list of questions. Like after the end of your interview, you need to ask that admin, what curriculum is being used in that classroom for next year? Mm-hmm. Who is going to train me on that curriculum? Yes. Because you could hand me Nick Saban's playbook, I would have no idea what to do with it, right? Yeah. Handing me that playbook does not mean I can go create a number 1. Well, I guess I'm not number 1 this year, but a really great. We'll talk about Georgia. Take taking Georgia's <laughs> playbook. Sorry, I'm Nick. not going to be able to do, not going to be able to do anything with it unless I've been trained. And I said you ask what's the curriculum? Who is going to train me and what is the follow up looking like? Mm. Because when you have great curriculum, it should follow these very specific routines and procedures. But if you don't understand the bell work or the hook or how the closure works or what this assessment's tied back into, you're not going to be successful unless you have an experienced teacher there to help you. And I said, if you if you walk into a school and they say, oh, our teachers write the curriculum. I said, I'm not going to say it's not great, but as a first year teacher, you need more. Su- I believe you're going to need more support than that. Yeah those first few years until you really can get a firm foundation about what what you're teaching and how this content really looks at that grade level.
0: Yeah. I had a week long training in Iowa for the first time. And I still felt like, okay, what am I doing? Like, how do you know, and, and getting feedback throughout the year was, was like a, a way again to say, all right, you know how to s- launch these, you know, how to do the summarizing, you know, like what kind of questions are you asking uh, while they're in, in doing the investigation? So. Yeah. And I had a
1: completely opposite. I was <laughs> my first year teaching. I was hired to be an intervention specialist for math and reading oh. for grades three through six. And these were the kids who were the struggling the most so it was a different teacher book for every single one, a different student book for every single one. And I asked about training and they said, hey, nobody else. This is your tier two and tier three curriculum. Nobody else uses it. Figure it out. Good I course. won't tell you the disservice I did to kids those year, that year, trying to just figure out how these materials even worked. Right.
0: And that's the thing. No other, no other. you know, if you did that in any other job, you know, go to Target, you know, even like if you're the checkout person, figure it out. <laughs> Like, Good no, luck. Come on. Come People are
1: going to get a lot of free stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, I mean, so you, you, what are your experiences though with high, with high quality instructional materials? So what have you been doing with them or, or what is your experience with them? I, I been, keep blathering mine.
1: So a few, um a couple of years ago when Mississippi first started looking at doing high quality instructional materials and having a list here, Ed Reports has, um, if you've never been to the website, it's gold. You can type in most curricula. Like and it'll the Consumer Reports
0: for Education.
1: It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's it's a nonprofit. It's people who are, I oh, mean, they are just absolutely geniuses in the field. And they use a very, very strict rubric. It's not just, oh, I didn't like the way these pictures looked or this font. No, it's like we go we get really deep into, is it the standards aligned is it for math? Does it align to SMPs and the shifts, all the things. So I'd serve right now on an advisory panel for Ed Reports. But I also got a chance to help write the rubric for the Mississippi review. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I really like that started getting those wheels turning about, man, this is way more important than I anticipated, like the curriculum. And I felt like that should be, that should have been such an aha for me years ago. Yeah. But then I started thinking about what does that look like in my college classroom? Because, you know, at the university, we do lots of lesson planning. Yes. But I'm also at the point where my students could Google anything and grab a lesson plan and turn it in. And that doesn't take, the thought process that I need for it to take for them to really become experts in this content area or to feel comfortable in this content area. So one um, HQIM that I've really gotten into using, and I think you mentioned illustrative math earlier because it's an open ed resource. Yeah. Um, open ed resource for those who are not familiar, it's just a free high quality resource that's online. So I yeah. use, it's called Core Knowledge, C-K-L-A. It's a completely free Um, ELA curriculum. And so I've started integrating that very strategically in my courses, so that students can see, hey, lesson planning really means you're starting with a really great curriculum. And then you're figuring out what you're going to do from there.
0: So it's almost like your lesson plan is an exercise in curriculum and action for the students that you've that are in front of you. Right,
1: and I'm I'm I, I, her name has lost me, but I met with another um, professor at another university, and she said she calls it um, lesson prepping mm. because she says they're not actually planning the materials and planning everything they're going to do, but they're prepping to teach it based on the high quality way it's already laid out. And so I I like that change in terminology. And when yeah. you get to the show notes, I'm going to send I'll make sure to send you her name so awesome. we can give her credit for that.
0: Well, and I guess too is you just you know quick poll. Like I'm thinking about like my top five lessons that I have done that I've executed. You know, and a lot of times I do them all here. I creating I I didn't create any of them from scratch, none. Like they they are from curricula that mm-hmm. I have then figured out how do I use it within the context that I am in, and like that like I like the lesson prepping like that?
1: So the way that that's looked in, I'll talk about my juniors and then my seniors. So um, I've had juniors that I have to teach understanding by design, which is um, a UBD lesson plan that we do here at the University of Mississippi. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of things. There are these 25 indicators that look at uh, planning and prep, instruction, assessment. It's really, it really, when they finish it, it looks like a, like five days of a curriculum because Mm -hmm. it's so in-depth and it makes them think about every single step. So they start with like their concept topic standard. Then they, then they plan the assessments that are going to show mastery. And then they figure out what do my daily materials and instruction look like? And so for my juniors, I've let them, I've taught them how to write a EBD and then sent them forth to do it. And like every class would be like, you know, they're stressed. They're like, this is, do you know how many hours this is taking? I have 120 pages. And yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Lesson planning is hard. And then like the last two or three weeks of class after they've submitted, and this is only do this to my juniors, but after they've submitted, I then let them go online and look at like CKLA or Engage New York Mm. at the ELA and math curriculum and say, okay, what if I had given this to you first? And it's like light bulbs all across the room. They're like, Gee, I would have been done in a, like a couple of days. Like I would have been able just to, I would have had all my resources. I would know exactly what assessments I was giving. I would know like there's differentiation pieces already listed here. And so for me, it's saying, if you don't want to do this, when you become a real teacher and you're in the classroom all the time, you have to be in a placement with great curriculum that will guide you. So that you can prepare and plan your lessons based on the stuff you already have and not just trying to like make sense of everything that's on the internet, because it becomes very overwhelming.
0: Yeah. Well, very overwhelming. And then, you know, half the stuff you're dealing with is not good stuff, you know, like the, and you're and trying to, yeah, trying to put it all together. That, that is, that is the frustrating piece, you know, that is the frustrating piece and it, and I guess just, from what I say, I never actually planned units. I planned a lesson when I was a, uh, in, in my undergrad. And cause then we, we, looked at curricula. we looked at curriculum and saying like, well, what, what's, what does a good curriculum look like? And like, how do I make sense of it? Right. And how do I learn right. how to read it and see what, what's available within it? Right. Um, that, that was the kind of the main emphasis.
1: And the research I was talking about earlier, of where you know teachers are spending all this time on Google and Pinterest and hours, and I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not faulting teachers. If the teachers are not handed good curricula and they're not trained on good curriculum, that is not a teacher that is not teacher Absolutely. level issue. Mm. That is something they have zero control over. But the research found that of the 720 hours that kids spend on assignments in a year, 581 of those were not quality. Mm. That's a yeah. lot of time sitting in a class. So I think, I think COVID kind of showed a lot of this, these packets students were bringing home yeah. mm-hmm. that were just cute font and cute graphics, but yeah. no real content. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of shone a light on, man, what are we doing with these kids in this, in the school? Yeah. And so well, now for like, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, uh, I have a former instructor who did a lot of research on materials and like looking at the the cable, and he had like a whole database that he looked at and like curriculum. And, and so materials and some of them high quality, some of them not, but just looking at the potential, like what you're saying is like not engaging with quality stuff. And he's like, you know, there's things where, you know, I think about it from a math perspective where you're doing exercises, you know, and a lot of people can remember, like when you had to do the 50 problems, the odds are in the back of the book. Right. And that sort of thing versus like engaging with like a single high quality problem. That's really getting you to think like, there was one that we did in uh, one of my curricula where it said like, there's some expansion like they could look at expansion joints on a, on, on a, um, uh, uh, a railroad, uh, what do I, I can't uh what are the things what is a railroad? What is a train going? Railroad, the railroad the rail, track, yeah. railroad Taz, yeah. The I track track, it, thank you. Oh my gosh, expansion joint <laughs> right on like, railroad track. So if that wasn't there, like and it, it expanded, like got hot and expanded and like and like added like so many, like uh, like a couple of millimeters, like what would happen? It basically like kind of would go up and like and you'd figure it, oh, it's kind of like a right triangle, and like you figure if that's a new hypotenuse, what would happen? And it was like there's a lot of thinking there, but it was a single problem. And it was kind of a cool problem because you think like, well, why do expansion joints exist? You, so you're getting a little bit of science there, a little engineering, mm-hmm. and then you're figuring out the math of it. And so it's was like that one problem, that one Pythagorean ends up being a Pythagorean theorem type problem, like was more, does more to like get you to think about uh, all those concepts and things that are fitting together versus if I had to do 12 problems, all out of context, all on Pythagorean theorem, but all I'm doing is regurgitating an algorithm mm-hmm. and I don't know how to use it in real life, right? And So, so it's Jeff, almost like
1: going back to depth of knowledge. The yeah. DOK1, that not great material just keeps you in. Yeah. And as a new teacher, you don't realize that you're just making them stay at this basic level. Whereas that probably took them DOK3 and they really had to activate a lot of stuff in the brain yeah, yeah. to really understand that concept.
0: There's potential. And like a lot of the stuff that you are saying, if it, you're surprising you're not high quality, like there's, it's lacking potential to get you to those higher levels of thinking. Sorry, yep. I interrupted you.
1: No. And so so for juniors, they, they went through that. So now I have those same juniors that I taught last year. Now they're student teachers in a classroom and they've been told, like, when you turn in your UBD, I don't want to see one teacher pay teacher <laughs> material. Yeah. You're in a school that has curriculum, whether it be high quality or not, your goal is to dig through that curriculum and figure out how to pull and really make the best of it for these five days that you're going to teach. And so... Um, For my seniors that I teach in an ELA class, instead of having them write less ELA lesson plans or like a phonics lesson, I let them look at like CKLA or West Virginia reading first, which is a phonics uh, intervention program. And I do a lesson, I model a lesson for them. They pretend they're second graders and we do the whole thing. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: they have they have a week that they have to take a lesson And they have to completely prep and they come back and teach it to a a partner the next week. And it's one of my favorite activities because you see how deep their understanding is of phonics based on how well they had to learn how to do that one lesson. Uh, And we also do like this concept of lesson dissection where we take unit from CKLA or we take a lesson and we look for the three shifts and we look at the standards and how is that standard broken down and how is vocabulary brought in and how do they engage with vocabulary and what does the assessment look like and to me it's way more valuable for them to be able to look and talk about where they're seeing the great stuff and what they and then they have to talk about what would they what would they change would you add Mm -hmm. technology if you would what would you add how would you differentiate what about your kids who can't sound out words on the page So it makes them, I feel like in a more real world way, think about what does this look like next year when I'm handed a program and I have to figure it out and have to figure out how to teach it in an engaging way to my students.
0: You are hitting on the exact, so like I've had this like kind of, I don't know, itch in the back of my brain, like, um, to get more, like I do some similar things like we do. Um, they grab a, a task from illustrative mathematics and they do teaching groups. So they teach each other in a small group. So they're pretending to be first graders and fifth graders and all that stuff. Uh, but having to like use good stuff in a, in a lesson. And then those are things also that they then might use in the year, but still not doing it to the extent of you are with the right thinking about, uh, using high quality instructional materials and going to the next level of like giving them like, experience of taking that uh taking that uh, curriculum and thinking about well what's good about it what's bad about it like what is it doing the things that we're looking for you could have them
1: find smps in action dr amadon
0: smps in action
1: i'll send you all my rubrics
0: well yeah and that's the thing you know like we want them to use those uh you know standards for mathematical practice and you Wanting them to, well, what does it look like to, you know, think about somebody else's reason or, you know, critique, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, uh, be able to do some reasoning about a problem, but be able to critique the reasoning of others. And like, well, what does that look like in my teaching? Right. And so, you know, what kind of, you know, open-ended questions and things like that might be, and what kind of problem math problem is going to provide an environment for that kind of exchange to happen versus like, well, what's the answer? It's five. Great. You know, like, and that's, that doesn't do it. Right. That doesn't quite do it.
1: We Um, talk a lot in education about the gradual release of responsibility. The I do, we do, you do. Oh yeah. I say, I do, we do, y'all do, you do. But (laughs) like having a great curriculum is like the ultimate I do. Like if, they, like, if they're trying to figure out standards for mathematical practice and they see what that looks like, like in a really great curriculum, that's an I do. Someone's written that for them. Mm-hmm. And then you can transfer like, okay, well, what if I gave you a curriculum that wasn't great? How would you tweak this to make right. it as high quality? And then what if you, and if you did have to make it on your own, but they have to see a really great model first right? before they're going to be able to do it on their own.
0: Yeah. I remember, um, way back in the day uh ben affleck and matt damon they talked about like one of them talked about what was their favorite book it was the Strunk and white uh elements of style book and it's like well you got to know the rules before you break the rule right you got to know you got to you got to know what it looks like right you got to know what this thing is going to look like first before i deviate and so having those images of what high quality instructional materials look like and then now being able to adjust it and make those decisions to make it better fit my context or, or, or even to there's a gap because we're doing this and it's not in there. And now how do I fill that gap? I will know how to do that because I've seen it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think we bounced all over the the questions I sent you, but, um, so, I mean, we talked about the time piece. We talked about like thinking about process. I don't know what, what, what else did you want to fill in? Cause I know we have a, a limited amount of time here.
1: I just think like, I don't know if you're a pre-service teacher or an in-service teacher and you're listening to this. Like if you're an in-service teacher, the first thing I would do is go to the Ed Reports website and I would type in the curriculum that I've been given. And I would just look to see, is there a report there and does it get the green light or not? And there's I don't want teachers to think I think there's one perfect program for every single group. There's There's no there's no one curriculum that's going to meet the needs of every single student in a room. But if you can have that great foundation, it's so much easier to fund yeah. the time and supplemental resources to help students as needed. And I I don't I don't think this is the, the one fix for everything, but I'm I'm just like if every classroom, if we knew every classroom at least had quality materials, mm-hmm. like at least we had that, I'm just wondering how much other issues it would alleviate in the long term. Like teachers are getting burnt out trying to just make plans yeah. constantly.
0: And, and then thinking about that time that you not have to search for stuff is time you can think how to better I connect with students or even like I'm hanging with my students. I'm building relationships with my students. And like, then that makes it when I'm actually doing the last, like the, even better, those, those connections. Um, I actually just had an experience with a, a a student talking to me about, she had a need with a student. And then, hey, there's these like things in her curriculum that she hadn't used before. She started implementing them, and then all of a sudden, like they're seeing some connections because it was like a little extra dose of some math that that those kids needed, and all and seeing results, you know. And like, what do you know? <laughs> yeah. You know. So,
1: like we talked about earlier, like just having the curriculum is not enough. You have to be trained on it. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Shit's Creek, but um, I want to I want to have this Very link. Much so on your uh, on this podcast episode but there's an episode where David and his mom are trying to fold in the cheese oh. and all his mom and like it, I've always equated it to a curriculum and David's like mom's Moira's like fold in the cheese and he said what does that mean? Do you like do you fold it sideways? Like what do you do? And she's like here's what you do you fold in the cheese and all <laughs> she does is keep saying keep fold in the cheese and he's like I'm done here and I said when you hand teachers like a great curriculum, if you don't actually show them how to use it, yeah. you're not giving them anything that's actually helping them because right. all curriculums give you enough that you could teach that content for like seven hours a day and still not be done. Yeah. So you need that support. So there's another website called Rivet and we'll, we'll add it in the show notes, but it's a lot like ed reports, except its own professional development providers. Ooh, so nice. instead of saying, okay, well we adopted Envision Math I need someone to come teach me Envision Math that knows Envision Math. Yeah. This Rivet website, you can type that in and your state and it'll say, here's the people that we have vetted, that we can vouch for, that we have used a rubric and graded their materials that can come and train you.
0: And you think, like, is that going too far? I'm like, well, I'm about to have somebody watch my dog. And I look for the reviews on who's going to watch my, and like, and like, the yep. thing is like, we'll just hire somebody random to come and do professional development. Like, no, like, Hey, let's use stuff like this. Awesome. Right. Um, so I know we're limited on time, but I just want to know, I know that you are, uh, you read all the time and what, give me three book recommendations or,
1: Oh my gosh, that wasn't on my list of questions.
0: I know. Yeah.
1: Um, actually I'm only reading like Colleen Hoover right now. I'm not reading anything. I can do it.
0: Well, I'm reading, I've read about this book, uh, it's like, uh, uh, about the CJ box. He's a, he writes about Joe Pickett, which is now a series on Paramount plus that's been my like escape reading. It's a, there you go. it's great stuff, but I just threw that out there. Cause I know you, I know you read, but I, you know, sometimes you throw me some. The, now, but hey,
1: now I feel like I have failed the podcast by not no, having no, a great, no.
0: No, a great go back book to the other.
1: recommendation.
0: <laughs> no, we've had, we great stuff, but also, Hey, if you haven't watched *Tits Creek and then we've also talked about Ted Lasso, whenever season oh, three comes out. Ted. When is it? Come.
1: I've been, I feel like I've been waiting forever.
0: Yeah. Waiting for, yeah. Continue it. We're going to talk, I'm going to be talking hopefully soon with a friend about the uh, Joe, uh, John Wooden's pyramid of success, which is what uh, Ted Lasso puts up in his office. One of the first things in episode one of season one. So um, there's a book, there's a tease. There you go.
1: There you there's go.
0: something. Well, Christy, thank you so much for your time. Um, this is great. We're going to have lots of great resources because I think it's almost like getting a curriculum too, like high quality instructional materials is almost like a cheat code. I think it's going to be like, wow, this is, this is now I can spend more time on the things that I want to do versus like trying to search for things that may or may not be effective in my teaching. So, um, Hey, let's 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 keep banging this drum. We'll do our part here at the University of Mississippi, and then we we'll hopefully maybe others can help. Uh, the the stuff we've talked about here can help others too. So that's why we
1: do it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, there you go. About all you wanted on high quality instructional materials. And remember, if you want more, we've got links in the show notes, right, where we can learn more. And it, really, I'm, and I, I'm joking, but I'm also serious. Like I'm thinking about high quality instructional materials and how I can be better, a better advocate for them within my courses. And what I do, like I, I always talk about like students using good tasks or juicy tasks. I have a, a book, uh, reimagining the math uh, mathematics elementary mathematics classroom uh, where they talk about juicy tasks and I find, I point out locations where they can find juicy tasks and those are like high quality instructional materials, but I need to be a better advocate for that because so much time can be opened up into thinking about how best to use materials and rather than finding materials. And, and that's, and, and then that also goes to developing better relationships with students and stuff, rather than focusing all this information, uh, all this time and attention on finding materials in order to teach, uh, teach the content. So that's good. All right. Um, this felt like a big mailbag episode, like, Hey, what are high quality instruction materials? So, I'm not, we're not going to do a mailbag today, but hey, if you have any mailbag question, we got one for the next episode uh, that I'm excited to talk about. It's kind of a kind of a tutoring or like how do you deal with uh, teaching situations within classrooms or even in a tutoring situation? What are some things you can do to help that? We're going to get to that on the next episode because I think this one went long enough. All right. So if you do have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can send them to joel at AmadonPlanet.com. Love to have them. Love to respond to them. Um, and that would be a great way also to support the program because I think that's kind of a way to get some personalization. So, again, if you're a frequent listener to this podcast, which seeing that you are, um, there's lots of people listening out there, go ahead. Send it, Send an email to JC Amadon, or joel <laughs> Joel at com. That's a different email address I was trying to give you. Uh you can, again, find the show notes for this episode at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 82. Uh, you can also subscribe, rate, and review and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. We're starting to get into um, some of the... Um, I guess the algorithms and stuff. So people are getting recommended ourselves. So, we appreciate that. Uh, keep growing and growing. As always, you can follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can also um, subscribe to the Amazon Planet download. You can find that email list subscribe button at amazonplanet.com. There's there's buttons all over the place. Uh, we're we're trying again, trying to get that thing launched. Um, that seems to be a, a, a pretty consistent theme in this at the end of these podcast episodes. But hey, it's coming. It's coming. Anyway, and finally, thank you for spending some time on on Planet. We want to thank uh, Christy for spending some time on on Planet, sharing her time and ex- expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there for l- learning how to teach better and to be the good in the world For and by inle- investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do peace